Welcome to episode 38 of Rich State of Mind. In this episode, I'm interviewing Courtney Barber. She's a native of Greensboro, North Carolina, and a 21-year active duty Master Chief of the United States Navy. Her military experiences have made a mark on her life through personal and leadership struggles. Courtney is a leader of many and a friend to all. She has been motivated to be a voice for others who are battling depression, suicide thoughts, and mental health issues. Courtney is also the author of two books, Unapologetically Favored and Wake Up, Turn Up, Bless Up. Both books can be found on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and Walmart. If you want to learn more about Courtney, please check out her website at unapologeticallyfavored.com. Thank you for listening. Please visit our site at www.richstateofmind.com where we provide content on real estate, personal finances, and self-development. Share your story and information by posting a blog on our site so that the Rich State of Mind community continues to grow in knowledge. You can also follow our Instagram page at rich underscore state brand to find out about exclusive offers and discount promotions for our apparel. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other outlets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And thank you for listening. Hey, Courtney, welcome to Rich State of Mind. I appreciate you taking your time this evening to do this episode. If you could please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, I am Courtney Cottrell. Um, I am an author, published author. I have authored two books. My first book is a memoir called Unapologetically Favored. Well, I'll talk about my life and my struggles, my setbacks, and my comebacks. And my second book is Wake Up, Turn Up, Bless Up, inspirational for uh, messages for her. And it is a motivational book for the everyday woman who just needs a little pickup in their life when they're having sad days. Um, I'm also a Master Chief. I active duty Master Chief in the Navy. And I've been in currently for 22 years and I'm still going. So that's just a little bit about myself. And could you please explain to us, how did you get into the mental health uh, realm? So that was an interesting journey. And it wasn't like I one day just woke up and said, hmm, I'm going to talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, it happened right around the same time that I sat down to write my book or when I was inspired to write my book that I looked back over my life and I realized that I went through some things. And, you know, when you turn around and look back at your past, you're always amazed at the things that you, you overcome. And we don't realize that, you know, we are very resilient because we all survived 100% of our worst days because we're still here. And I started paying attention to people around me and I started noticing how, you know, and being in the military, we're groomed and conditioned to to take on um, a lot of pressure and and taskings and, you know, just day-to-day functions that most normal people on the outside aren't capable of handling. Yes. and I realized just through conversations with people that I work with, how a lot of us, we suppress the stress that we go through. We don't ask for help when we're, you know, kind of when we're in, like in a dark place. We don't know how to say time out, flag on the play. I just need a, a moment for myself. And I found myself in that dark space um, in 2014 when I contemplated suicide. And I couldn't believe, like looking back at that now, I, I was like, I can't believe I actually thought about that. But I did. Yeah. And when I spoke to people around me about that, you know, it's amazing to me how they kind of look at you like you're crazy, but then they end up being able to relate because that's, they'll come out and say, you know, I was there at one point too. And, And I realized that we do not ask for help the way we should, because we all think that we're going through a dark moment by ourselves. And that is just us, but we all have a story. We all have baggage. And every's ba- everybody's bag is different in life. 
And I like to think that everybody's mental capabilities or mental capacities um, are different. Like people's pain, th- like their, their um, pain thresholds, everybody, you know, some people can tolerate pain and heat. Some people can't tolerate pain and can't tolerate heat, pass out in needles. You know, everybody's built different. And that journey, like I, I just seen like that pathway, like stop being scared to speak about this. Um, like what I can handle, the next person might not be able to handle. And we need to respect that. And be able to notice when somebody's having a bad day, be able to notice when they're depressed, be able to notice when their silence is crying out for help. But we don't do that. And as individuals, we need to stop being afraid to speak up and speak out. Stop being afraid to kind of sit sit back and say, you know what, I need to go find somebody to talk to. I need a pressure release valve because I just have so much built inside of me that I need to get out. We need to start doing that a little bit more. And I think having somebody to speak up um, for others when they feel like they can't, um, is, is due diligence. And I want to do my due diligence with that when it comes to mental health capacity. And what do you think would allow people to feel more comfortable talking about it? I, I guess people will maybe feel like they're weak if they feel like this. Uh, it's good that you mentioned about the military because you're right, we do, I feel like it's more so numb. We're still human beings, right? Yes. But yep. I think we get it's almost like getting beat with a whip to the point where you're numb to the pain and you know you no longer know how much damage is doing until probably you, you left off a of sea duty or you retired or you got out. And then you, you go, you get back into the normal world where a lot of feelings and thoughts and inconveniences are taken into consideration. And mm-hmm. like, wow, this is how, this is how I, f- I feel like crap, or, you know, this is how I want to, you know, deal with myself for the, you know, for the time frame. So how do you think you can get people or how do you think is the best way to get people to feel more comfortable to, to discuss that? I think it takes a it takes it's a village to raise a child, right? It takes a village to to support people when they're going through this, and to realize that nobody's any better than anybody else. Because again, we all have baggage, we all have stories, we all have stressors in our lives. Um, that even without us thinking they're they're taking a toll on us, those stressors are still taking a toll on us. And it's okay to say, "Hey, I need help. Hey, I need to go find somebody to talk to." And I recommend that to people. Um, there was a specific incident on one of my commands um, in 2019 where, you know, one of my sailors got shot and the one that shot her, he ended up getting shot and killed himself. And mm-hmm. I remember that moment and, and it was it was very sad and very raw and very real. But it amazes me how at that time you have a lot of babies that are in the military. This might be their first job ever in life. This yes. might have been the first time they've ever been a part of anything violent. And some people come into the military to feel like they're protected. They don't have to worry about that, right? But here you are, 6.45 in the morning going into work on a regular work day, and you're fearing for your life in the parking lot because somebody's out there shooting and you don't know if they're trying to kill you, everybody, or one individual, and they are running and screaming for their lives. Those individuals are going to be affected by that. So this happens on a Friday, and by this, I think maybe have been, maybe have been like Tuesday or Wednesday, they were back at work. Knowing they just lost a co-worker, knowing that the other, you know, young female, we didn't know if she was going to live or die that day, but then they're required to go back out and get the job done, get the mission done. And But you don't know what's on their mind when they're on that flight line getting ready to launch that F-18 fighter jet to go, you know, make sure those pilots have their, their flight hours for their qualifications. You don't know when they're sitting inside their work center and you're tasking them if they're going to have a mental breakdown because of everything they just saw and just witnessed. You don't know that. So we as leaders, as, as individuals, peer to peer even, have to be cognizant of that. When you know something is happening around somebody or to somebody, um, be aware, be mindful, be cognizant of their attitude, um, their, their emotions, you know, their body language. You know, are they withdrawn? Are they still themselves? Are they overdoing it and they're just a little too overly excited considering what happened? Those are all telltale signs that, okay, you know what? just take a couple of days off or just check on them. Hey, how are you doing? I just want to make sure, you know, your mind is good considering what happened, but we don't do that. We don't do that. Uh, And not because, you know, I think that people are just cruel. We don't know how, because that part in our, of our lives has not been a conditioned part for us to do. We haven't been conditioned to do that. So now we're slowly starting to come into where we're, we're, we're teaching and we're providing resources for people to be, able to, you know, spot when somebody's having a, a, a moment when they're, you know, in a dark place in their life, we're, we're getting better with it. But because we're not conditioned, 
you know, we don't grow, your parents don't grow, like uh, raise you to say, hey, notice when somebody's depressed. They don't tell you that, you know what I mean? So it's not like you grow up really knowing until you have a moment yourself and you realize that that's what that is. Oh my God, I was depressed. I didn't want to get up in the morning. I didn't want to brush my teeth. I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't want to go to work. I, I just wanted to be left alone. I just want to go in a closet. I just want to be by myself. I don't want to hear no noise. I just need complete silence. That's a moment. That's when you know, okay, I need, I, I just need that moment because you're, you're overly stressed. But for us to, you know, we have to allow a foundation, a, a pathway for people to feel comfortable and feel supported and know that they're not the only ones because we all have something that we've been through and somebody has helped us get through it. You know, a lot of the times for most of the things in our lives, we didn't get through this stuff for ourselves. Somebody supported us. So we need to turn around, reach back down that ladder and help the next person that's up, that's falling down into that black hole. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's a knee jerk reaction. You know, it's, oh, shoot, this person or a few people went through these things. And now let's have training. Uh, let's take a moment of silence exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and handle the situation. And I haven't quite, and maybe because I haven't been in Navy long enough, but we're, I'm kind of been processing this this scenario in my head where we're in the yards right now and we have this deadline to get out and we mm -hmm. keep being pushed back our deadline keeps being pushed back but yet we have sailors who are stressed out yes especially in a particular department right now yes right and so how do you manage timeline with mental health and and then still meet a deadline because I know that maybe after a while you start to forget where you were years ago, now that you're in this mm -hmm. position where you're making decisions. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe that's the disconnect, but I see some of these, these guys and I'm just like, I feel bad. I'm like, yeah, you know, your, your SRB is not even worth it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and I understand, and I understand, I can only, I understand to a certain extent because I've been in the Navy and I've worked long hours, but I've never been two section duty, you know, and I'm yes. doing these hours, yes. barely have enough time to take a shower. And then on top of that, I have, you know, these guys coming down and me, telling me these deadlines. And then, but by the time you get home, you only have enough time to eat and fall asleep. And then you expect mm -hmm. the whole thing. And then you don't even get a chance to take care of life. And that's one thing that I realized I had to do when I came back from this last deployment. Yes. Thank God I wasn't on the Ike deployment. We had no ports. At least we had two yes. ports out of seven months. So I'll take that. <laughs> but it, it, it opened my eyes on just the health outside of the mission and job mm -hmm. what is my what is my mindset with my family what is my kids mindset mm -hmm. uh because without without all those pieces th those are the only things that matter and mm -hmm. so if you're if you're not good if your family's not good then everything else to me i think will fall apart eventually uh, mm -hmm. and so maybe some people they find like a little bit of comfort in focusing on the job so they don't have mm -hmm. to focus on the issues at hand but after a while, I've noticed that that, you know, obviously it doesn't work away. It doesn't right. work, especially now if your job starts to suck and then you don't you, mm -hmm. know, you don't have good job satisfaction. It's like you have nowhere to go but to attack that um, particular issue. Uh, do you feel like that? Well, I guess when the Navy is the most thing that we probably I could discuss about, do you feel like the Navy needs to implement uh, something different in order to uh, address certain issues? Or do you feel like. Uh, we should outsource more like instead of us training maybe we should outsource more um i think it's an equal balance we can there are a lot of um there are a lot of leaders in the military that you know one to help degrees in education and all that kind of good stuff but our experience make us a little bit more open-minded we have like a third eye i like to call it where we can kind of see things a little bit more or we can sit down and understand we have a little bit more empathy um because that's what's really lacking I think throughout any branch of military really is like, is the empathy part. Put yourself in that person's shoes. How would you feel if, how would, what would you want to be done? You know, and we, we are, like you said, for numb, right? And I, it just cracks me up that you said it because I always have this conversation. I had a conversation about being numb with a sailor from Japan. I never met this young lady, but she reaches out every now and then for mentorship. And oh, wow. she was talking about her family kept saying that she was numb. And I was like, and she said, I do feel numb. And it's, that is like the key word. Um, but anyways, um, balancing, yes. I, I think we do need to outsource, outsource more as far as when it comes to lead, senior leadership and leadership in general, because a lot of leaders, everybody's not born to be a leader, first and foremost. It takes a lot of skill. It takes a, a skill set to be a, a really good leader. 
in order to be a really good leader, you need to know who you are leading and understand that you cannot lead everybody with the same attitude, with the same um, tasking, with the same depth. Everybody's different, require a different leadership style. And as you're in that leadership capacity, it is your job. Be careful what you ask for when you want to become a leader because you're going to get it all. It is your job to recognize and make sure your, your, the people that you are leading are being taken care of. Your shoulders, that burden is going to be on you because at the end of the day, the last thing you ever want in your life is to lose a sailor. Trust and believe. The last thing you ever want in your life is to, is to lose not just a sailor, but any employee or anybody that works under you or anybody that you're leading. You do not want that, um, that memory, that, that question of what could I have done better at? What more could I have done? Because now we're back to that knee-jerk reaction. We're back to being more reactive than we are proactive. So begin to be proactive. If you know you have people that are working for you as a leader and you see them stressed out, or you know your work schedule is becoming um, a little burdensome, or you know just just uh, just a lot going on at one time, heavy. Take time to under to let your people know what's coming up in the future, right? So that they can prepare for that. Nobody's ever going to be ready, but you can help them get prepared. Hey, next week this is what our schedule is going to look like. With that being said, think about how that's going to take a domino effect into their lives. Who has something coming up that they probably have planned with their families? How many people are going to be stuck at work during, you know, dinner hours and won't be able to get any food or doing lunch? Okay, leader, then take it upon yourself to go out and take care of them. Get them some food, make sure they're good, check on them, ride out the way with them if need be to, uh, to make them understand and know that they're not alone and that you are there supporting them because whatever's going on with them is going to ultimately, ultimately affect the leader at the same time. You know what I mean? So people yeah. are, it won't take the stress off 100%. However, it'll make it manageable. It'll make it bearable knowing that the leader is supporting them. The leader is by their side. The leader actually cares. And it's not, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And the leader went out the door and went home to his family or her family while you have all the workers in there with the whole workload and you know where to be found. That's the first, the first way to lose trust, respect, loyalty, everything. You know what I mean? When it comes to you as a leader. But getting outside resources in, to kind of give more training on empathy and listening and all that is, is definitely needed. It is definitely needed because we don't have all the answers and we're so conditioned to seeing and understanding and knowing and learning and doing things one way, the way the Navy wants you to do it, that it might take somebody on the outside to come look at us and say, well, how'd you, have you tried this? What mm -hmm. would happen if you implemented this? How would this look? Or what, what, you know, what would be the effects of, you know, having this program instilled right now across the, there, sometimes you might need a fresh set of eyes to come and show you what you've been missing because you can't see when you're everything, when you're inside the bubble, you can only see it when you're outside, you see the whole entire picture, you know? So I, I, I'll, I'll definitely on board and agree with having outside resources come in to help, you know, give us a, a clean look. <laughs> and I'm glad you spoke on the leadership portion. Cause I, I was reading a book about how to lead millennials. And a big thing was the older leadership uh, or if you have older leadership style is mm -hmm. to adapt to how the millennials are. And I'll just use yes. the millennials as an example as, uh, we're not gonna say more emotional, but we'll say they are more expressive of their emotions. Mm -hmm. And so we as leader, we as leadership, we have to be receptive of that and not to think yes. it's just them complaining all the time and actually say, okay, let me sit down think about what this person just said, right? Mm -hmm process it is it complaining or is this a legit concern not shut up you know i went through the same thing you went through coming up and just deal with it and it'll get easier when you when you get up or get a promotion it'll get better mm -hmm. you know uh that's not that's not the case anymore and so i think across a society period uh, even in the even, even in the private sector and so the, you have this mixed personalities uh and a, and a lot of us that are kind of you know i guess numb and so it's hard to listen sometimes to somebody that's with those fresh eyes, the junior, mm -hmm. the junior person that has fresh eyes, like, Hey, this is kind of stupid. Well, we've been doing this for 50 years. Well, maybe you should change it because you got a lot of people uh, wanting to commit suicide, depressed at home, not mm -hmm. really happy with the job satisfaction uh, when they wanted to do this all their life. I wanted to join yes. the Navy all my life. I wanted yes. to be a, a, a carpenter all my life, but you yes. make my life and job miserable. So yes. those things should be taken into consideration. <laughs> and it's funny you say that because I'm working with um, a group right now. We're trying to we're trying to come up with a curriculum to kind of implement coaching into um, the Navy across the fleet 
coming soon. Um, and I talk about the five generations in the Navy from baby boomers all the way up to, you know, the millennials, the Gen XYZ, whatever it is right now. Yeah. And how, again, with your leadership, you cannot lead all those people at the same exact way. They have different goals and different taskings in their life. Um, they come from different areas where like for us, you know, my first deployment, this, we had email barely. So we were still, I remember writing a check to open up an account with Navy Federal. You could only open up an account with Navy Federal Credit Union with the bank if you were on deployment and you had to send in a $5 check from a ship. That's how you got a bank account. You had to actually mail in a check. Nowadays, it's all online. You can get, you know, Billy Joe, the construction worker down the street. Hey, man, you want a bank account? Come sign up over here on my laptop. Like anybody can get a Navy Federal bank account now, right? And that's what the sailors are coming into. They don't know that. They don't know that, you know, we didn't have all this, this Facebook and internet stuff back then. They don't know that, but that's all they know now. Um, they didn't know that in back in the day, McDonald's was always the place for the birthday parties. You could have a bomb <laughs> birthday party at McDonald's. Yeah, they I don't forgot know about that. that. <laughs> you know, as you walk into McDonald's now, you got a big old kiosk. And they just get their little order on the screen and wait for their food to come up and then take it. They all are born with cell phones. They pop out. They got a cell phone in their hand and an app in another hand and a laptop. They're born into the world with technology. So coming into you know the military, they're going to be more tech savvy. They're coming in more aware, like you said, like talking about the emotions and they're just more you know, uh, emotionally intelligent. Yes, because they have social media. And if it's on social media and their lives and their eyes, it's real. So they have access, push button, one, one button push access to all the information and knowledge and resources that they need through their phone, through their computers, through apps, through you know technology. And for you know us old heads, we're just like, eh. I can, I'll go read it. I'll give me a book. I'll look it up. If you if you took one of those the young people to the library right now, they would just stand there. They don't know how to yeah. go and research a catalog and pick out the book and sign the book out. And look. they don't know how to check out a book unless they've been in college. You know what I mean? And even then, it might all still be digital. So it's it's as times change, leadership has to change. They have to understand that what was you know uh, like a catastrophe in our lives. And we got through it. The same things that you know we thought were terrible, the 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 generation of today, they probably won't be able to handle that. It's it's a new thing for them, you know. And in in this coaching um, area, uh, I, I I talk about you can't put your experiences on somebody else. You can't judge somebody else for their their experience is their experience. Allow them to have that moment, whether they're in their emotions or not, whether they're angry or not. Um, and that's when that empathy piece comes in because you got You have to sit there and put yourself in their shoes. But dang, if I was 19 years old in today's time and I don't know, my cell phone got crushed. Yes, I'd be upset too, because that's all you know. That's their lifeline. We're okay with it because we, we function without it for so long. You know what I mean? Like sometimes this new stuff today, I'm like, I don't even understand like how to, I, I just, I'm good. And so you can't judge people when they're having their issues because for them, that is the worst they've ever had. To you, you might think it's, it's just, you know, minuscule, it's, it's stupid or whatever. Okay, that's your thought process, but it's not about you. It's about the person that you're dealing with. Allow them to have that moment to get off their chest what they need to get off. Your job is to just listen and make sure they're okay and their mental capacity is good. That's it. But we're so quick to judge because I don't have it worse than you. Why are you worrying about it? Okay, that's your story. Cool, cool story, bro. But it's not about you. It's about the person that's coming to you with issues. Yeah. And that's what we need to, that's when leadership needs to learn how to just shut up and just listen instead of always having something to say or and shutting people down, not allowing them that space. Because once you do that, that person is never going to come back out and, and probably talk to anybody else ever again for no. fear of being shut down, for fear of being judged. And that's when they go jump off the bridge. That's when they're sitting in the car off the highway and they decide to commit suicide because it took one person to shut them down when that one person might have been the only person that they decided to come to and, and get some things off their chest because they were finally ready to let go. And All so it it, is it thoughts like this and um, I guess instances like this that has led you or inspired you to write your books? Yes, it is. That is exactly why. Um, and it's just, it's, it's crazy because after I um, wrote the book and, it, and I got it published and I was receiving just messages every day, just 
you know, about from males and females just saying how much they could relate to the story, how much they could relate to the book, you know, um, because a lot of the times when we're going through, through darkness, we're, we're thinking we're being punished because we're scared of the unknown. We don't know why this is happening to us. We think our life is in shambles. You know, God's punishing us. What did I do to deserve this? But in actuality, you're being planted. You're being planted because when you come out of this darkness, when you come out of this situation, you're going to blossom. You're going to bloom. You're going to be stronger, more resilient. You're going to be more wiser. You're going to be more knowledgeable. You're going to be a whole different person altogether. And when you look back, you're going to be like, I get it now. I get it. And I said that is that that test can ultimately turn into your testimony. And that's what I have used all my tests, all my trials and tribulations. I have turned those tests into my testimony to help the next person out. Yeah, it's actually it's funny you say that. I, I interviewed one guy and he said, I stole it for a T-shirt. He said, you got to be tested to have a testimony. Yes, so. that, is, that is a true statement. You have to be tested because how else? And I always say, be careful what you ask for. Because we always, you know, I, I think I've seen, um, it was something I seen one day and it said I was scared to ask God for some rest because I thought he was going to call me home early. Be careful what you ask for because you, you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to get it, but it might not be in the way in which you want to get it. You know what I mean? Like, I always wanted to be a great leader. I always wanted to be an example. I always wanted to be somebody that somebody can call and, and say, hey, I'm having a situation. Can you just listen for a second? I got you. However, I can't do that if I can't relate to what you're going through. I can't do that if I can't relate to the pain that you're going through. I can't do that if I don't have a story to share with you to, to help you get over and make it. So guess what? I got drugged down into a dark hole and I had to find my way up out of there. And when I came up out of there, I was like, oh, wow. And I took my story and that was my testimony for other people to, to help show them that they can get through whatever's thrown their way. Yeesh. It's heavy because... You don't, people do grow from trials and tribulations. Yes. And so my father speaks a lot of times about wisdom is better than experience. And yes. to listen to people that say, hey, look, these are the things that I went through. This is the dark place I got into. You don't have to go through it to truly appreciate, you know, the better side of things. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of times and my only most of my adult life, I can mostly only associate it to the Navy, but I think people, one thing I noticed about people is they, they're kind of guarded with their personal life. Mm -hmm. And so you never know what they're going through, what, how it can relate to you. And that's something I just learned recently because I don't mm -hmm. really talk about my personal life too often. And then throughout season and throughout these last few months, I've realized there's people that could have, could have used the advice I've been through, the advice of the things I've been through over time, uh, and to stop them from going into situations that could put them in a bad situation. And so sometimes maybe it's a little selfish to hold in some of the things that you're going through because mm -hmm. you just may be able to save somebody else's life or save them from months or years of, you know, depression mm -hmm. and, and turmoil. So that's a, yeah, man, you, you really got me thinking about a lot of situations where it's just like, just maybe one word, one little conversation, it changes your day. It changes their day. And people are really appreciative of it as well. Very, very. And, it, and it's crazy because that is, and, and not to say that, you know, just, I mean, you ain't got to do what I do is put all your, all your business out there. I mean, you know, I, after them people probably read that book, they're like, we're go together. I'm like, all right, cool. But just, you know, still be guarded with your information. But if you know somebody's having a, a hard time and you're sitting down and talking to them and they, and they kind of express to you what they're going through, if you have a story to share, you know, just to their to, to their point or to their pain, then share that story. Because a lot of the times we don't talk about what's going on in our life because we don't want to be judged. We don't want to be shamed. Um, we don't want people to just to know what's going on in our life to make it feel like we ain't got our we ain't got our, our crap together, you know? Yeah. And especially the higher up in rank you go, because certain people in certain positions in life are looked at in certain ways. People perceive you to be a certain way. And Image is everything for some people, you know? Image to me is nothing. The only thing that matters to me is my character and my legacy. If you're gonna know me before you know me, I want you to know me in a positive light. Copy. When I leave, I want you. I want to leave you with the best feeling that you ever had. I want you to be the best version of yourself. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in the image 
and we don't want people to look at us a different way. I don't care how you look at me. I don't care what you call me. It's what I answer to. So I, I it, it just drives me nuts. But, you know, be guarded with what you tell people. But if you do have a story to tell, you know, from your experience, you know, not just because you know something, but you need to have went through the experience. Because going through an experience that somebody else has, it allows you to have a piece of empathy because you can understand and relate to where they're coming from. And it becomes genuine. It becomes a connection. And you end up building like a, a bridge, a trust, a foundation between you and that person. And then ultimately, you might be the only person that person is ever going to rely on and have a conversation with. You could have saved that person that day. You could have saved them from doing something stupid. Or you could have, you know, motivated them to do a little bit more or go and apologize or turn their life around. Who knows? Just because they knew somebody that went through the same thing and, and got through it. So, yeah, don't, don't ever. And so what are a couple of highlights from your book that you could uh, share with um, everybody? Because after this, I'm pretty sure people are going to want to look up, you know, look you up. And so if you can give <laughs> us a little, you know, a little tidbit of that, I would appreciate it. So I think one of the major things about my book um, is probably the title, because most people said, you know, well, how did you come up with unapologetically favored? And I talk about the story in my book in a little more detail. But the quick rundown for that, for the title, Unapologetically Favored, um, A Woman, A Leader, A Testimony, was I had went through so many different things in my life from leaving home, coming into the military, um, the command I first went to, I was the only female um, in one of the work centers. It was an all-male command. And I remember um, a, a young guy <laughs> cursing me out and was like, you know, if you want to be treated equal, put your own cranial together, you know, but that was the sweet way. What he really said is in the book um, and having to fight that. And I was like, that was my introduction. I stepped into a man's world and I said, either this is going to make me or it's going to break me. And I was from that day forward, I pushed through, you know, I, 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 I didn't entertain clowns because if you entertain clowns, they'll keep performing. And I wasn't born to be a part of the circus. <laughs> so I, uh, I just kept focused. I stayed grinding. I did what I had to do. Um, then, you know, my sexuality started coming into play because it was don't ask, don't tell error. So I'm out here living my life for other people and not for myself because I wasn't happy. I got married to a guy. I wasn't happy I'm trying to live my life for other people. And that's not what I truly wanted. So I had to learn how to love me and accept me first. Yeah. And then once I, I blew up that closet, I didn't just come out of the closet. I blew that sucker up. Um, I started finding my confidence. I started finding my footing and my grounding in life. And I was like, you know what? I am who I am. I, I'm not trying to, you know, make friends do this. I'm just trying to get my life, reach my goals, retire. And, that, and that's it. Either you on board with me because you support me, you're my friend and my, my family or whatever, or you can kick rocks. So there were some things in my life, you know, I had to learn growing pains, relationships and all that. And I remember there was a time when I was at one command and I had a command master chief that, um, got upset with me for having dinner with a very uh, well-known individual. And uh, <laughs> I was kind of like standoffish from that person for a while and didn't want to just have anything to do with him. Like I just wanted to transfer from the command. So I had some girlfriends of mine who were like, you know what, come out to this, this luncheon with everybody. And I was like, I don't want to go. It was like supposed to be my, my farewell luncheon to give you a gift. Thank you for being here. We appreciate your service, all that kind of good stuff. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going. And as they were trying to convince me to go, we had a, uh, a, a RP, RPCS um, come into the chapel and, and they said, well, do you mind if we tell him about your, um, your story? And I said, okay, cool. So they tell him about my story. And when he finished, the girls finished telling him about my story, he took his glasses off and he looked at me. And he said, you ever heard about this, the story of Ruth? And I said, this man is about to preach to me a sermon. And I was not in the mood for this, right? And I was like, no, I haven't heard that story. I said, I go to church, but I'm not church, church, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, he tells me a story about Ruth. And it's in the book. And, uh, and he, at the end, he said, are you mad because the command master chief won't apologize to you? Or are you mad because you have favor? 
And I was like, what? And then I started thinking about everything I've been through my life, the people that I have encountered along my journey um, in the Navy, the friends that I have made, the connections I have made. And I was like, you know what? Like, I have a lot of, high, a lot of friends in high places. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I don't know why. And that's when I said, you know, everybody's presence at that time in your life um, has a meaning. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a purpose for that presence. And I said, these people were here. I don't, I don't know why, but they were here for something, you know, to get me through, to give me a strong foundation, um, to teach me how to be better, to show me what, you know, being a good leader is all about. And I said, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize because I've overcome obstacles. I'm not going to apologize for being who I am. I'm not going to apologize, you know, for knowing the people that I know and have and, and having the connections that I have. I'm like, I'm not going to apologize because I'm favored. I'm going to be unapologetically favored. That's just who I am. Yeah. A woman, a leader, and this is my testimony. So that is how the, 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 the title of my book came about. And I mean, it was a true story. And at that moment, I think that's when I found my, I found my, mm, I found my it. Whatever that it was, that was it. Like, and I've been writing that, and it has been tremendous with the responses from the book, and you know, the inbox with people I have never met before, just relating to my story and asking me advice on their situations, and um, you know, telling me, you know, that you know, my motivational posts and everything that I do on my social media seems like I'm talking to them because they've been going through yeah. so much and they read it and they're just like, Oh my God, you just, you just inspired me to just like, just, just hold my head high and live my life and, and just be you know proud of who I am. And that's all, that's all that I want to do is just make sure that people are proud of who they are, love who they are, because you're not here to be like anybody else. You're here to just be you and nobody's going to love you better than you can love yourself. So that is my message to everybody. And I think you you summed it up perfectly because you talked about how you was in a man's world and you had the don't ask, don't tell going on. So you had like yes. two things you were sandwiched in between trying yes. to find your place in the Navy. Um, yes. And that was obviously in the last 20 years, things have changed dramatically. Oh, yeah. So and, it's, um, and it still continues to change. I mean, we're not I mean, I don't think we're in a perfect place, but Lord knows we're not where we used to be. You know, and I'm grateful for where we're at now. And I think with more people being more confident in me and in, in being, um, you know, more, uh, you know, out there, you know, just speaking for other people who are probably scared to speak or don't know how to articulate what they're going through. That's why we're here. Let me help you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be ashamed of who you are. I mean, it, in a crayon box, there's not one color. You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to buy a box of crayons with just one color in there. There's like a thousand, a million colors. You can get, you can make up colors and have them named after yourself. And that's how life is. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so we talked a lot about mental health. I know you also like to speak on financial health. Uh, what's your thoughts and thought process on that? Oh, well, right now, you know, this is some trying times um, with this. I call it the little panty, the little pandemic. <laughs> and, you know, and, and this has, in a lot of ways kind of opened people's eyes to just um, different circumstances. Um, like earlier before the show, we were speaking about how some of us, you know, we grew up struggling. We weren't rich at all. You know, like we're like, okay, stay in the house. Okay, we're living paycheck to paycheck. Okay. But for other people, that might not have been a thing ever for them. So now that we're in this, you know, you've got households going from two income households down to one income or, you know, having two incomes to no income and you don't know where your next check is coming from. Um, I think it's, it's humbling a lot of people, but at the same time, their mental space is, is not good because ultimately you feel, you, you know, you have to provide and it can drain you and wear you down when you know you, you can't fully provide for your family or for yourself the way you know you can because there's nothing there's no resources out there you know and that can really weigh you down knowing that stressing about you know how are you going to pay your bills how are you going to get your car fixed how are you going to get the kids whatever it is that they need um medical bills and everything else that comes into life those stressors alone ultimately you know leading back to financial situations that is, is heavy it's very very he it's very heavy and it's taking a lot of people out of their comfort zone I was just talking to Crystal in episode uh, 34, I believe, 35, where 
I was saying like, I don't know anybody that has 18 months worth of reserves just sitting in mm-hmm. their bank account mm-hmm. for a situation like this. Mm-hmm. So it has caused people to adapt yes. uh, and really probably, probably compromise themselves in ways that they didn't think they had to, which has then lowered some of you know their mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. I know there was an increase in domestic violence, increase of uh, child abuse yes. uh, because of everybody being cooped up together. The biggest thing you said to that I can relate to is to be, as a man is providing, like mm-hmm. I want to provide for my household. Right. And so if I, as a man, and that's my, that's my, if that's my number one job, I know I got right is to make sure my family, my kids, my wife is good and mm-hmm. that I can't do that. It's like, yo, what am I here for? And so that messes with a man's uh, self-esteem. You know, his ability yes. to feel like he can, he can be that guy, that, you know, for, for his woman uh, in any, in any situation, because you don't want to, and nobody wants to feel like their purpose is stripped from them. Their, their one Correct. role is taken away mm-hmm. from them because mm-hmm. it kind of, it kind of defines us a bit and, and what, and how we value ourselves and what value we bring to whatever we're trying to contribute to. Yes. And, and it's, and it's sad that it has to be that way because they, then again, at, in that same breath, going back to the conversation earlier, we don't reach out for help. We don't ask for help because we don't want people to know what's going on in our lives because we have an image to uphold, right? You're the man of the house. You have an image to uphold. How dare you not be able to provide for your family? How dare you not figure out how to make ends meet? Because that is your role in life. But it shouldn't be that way. You know what I mean? Like, People should be comfortable saying, hey, um, I need some resources or, hey, we might need to compromise and break this down or, hey, I need it's OK, because, again, you're not the only one. But everybody thinks it's just them going through this situation and money is always, you know, they say it's the root of all evil, but it's the root of all mental <laughs> mental breakdowns, too. You know, it's like just knowing, like you said, an 18 month reserve. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I don't even have an 18 month reserve, but I know I'm good. You know what I mean? Um, nobody ever thinks that one day you're going to be locked up in your house for a whole year. This is like unprecedented. Like who would ever thought like last March that here we are again this March and we're still going through this pandemic. Nobody was prepared for this, but it goes to show you how taking care of yourself financially and, and saving and not worrying about, you know, materialistic things um, that those things don't matter taking care of yourself, making sure you're stable in case anything happens in life, not just a pandemic, but if your house burns down or, you know, you lose your job or, you know, whatever the case may be, if you end up being in a hospital for an extended stay because something, you no know, traumatic happened, you just don't know. Um, so where are you when it comes to, you know, your finances and being able to still support your family? If you yourself can't do so, how are you still able to make ends, make ends meet? Um, yeah, this is, it's a, it's a crazy time right now. You know, and also, too, it, it made us, like I said, have to adapt. And Amira and I, you know, due to the pandemic, started making us think about life outside of the Navy. Oh, it's going to be different. Yeah. And so that's what made us get actually life insurance. Like, because, mm-hmm. you know, aside from the SGLI, we know that goes away. Yes. So we were like, you know, it starts making you think, take a step back. All right. If we was out the Navy today, if we were to get out, our because our kids, uh, Anthony had to go to school virtually tati had mm-hmm. to go to school virtually and here mm-hmm. we are we still have to work so I'm, I'm i'm thinking in my mind we're thinking in our mind if this ends up being the norm i can't be at sea duty all the time you know yeah. she can't be working seven to seven all the time we got to be there mm-hmm. for our kids so it kind of makes you think like okay it's not it's now it's it's not even a bad look for people to either be working from home now or for one parent to be working and the other one stays at home now mm-hmm. it's needed and so maybe that shift is going back you know, versus <laughs> the, the two parents instead of the two parents working is I feel mm-hmm. like the shift is it's being more accepted again where one parent needs to work the other one needs to stay yes. home because the kids need you need to be there for the kids homeschooling kids you know and, and most people like I would I'm not gonna homeschool my kids are going to public school now look at us homeschooling kids because outside <laughs> is on lockdown like uh it, it, it is shifting this is shifting everything it's making people realize um you know, taking a look at their finances is making people taking a look at who they are, figuring out what they want out of life is making them look at their families um, a little bit closer and, and knowing who their families are and who their spouses are. Um, because like you said, being locked in and domestic violence, you know, spiking and, you know, um, child abuse spiking, 
Um, people are looking at their families like they're strangers. Hopefully by now they know who they are because they don't spend a whole year with them, like in the house. But in the very beginning, it was rough because now, you know, you're spending time with your children and you don't know who your children's best friends are. You don't know who the, who the boyfriend or the girlfriend is because it ain't the person that you said it was last week. You don't, you're not playing with little, you know, little Jack in the sandbox anymore. You got, you know, little Chris over here is now your best friend. You're like, when did I miss that? Oh, you were at work or out to see your underway or wherever you were at. You know what I mean? You're missing all of this. And now you're getting ready. You're able to sit down and have a family meal for the first time and see, you know, what your spouse has been going through and what your kids have been going through at school and, and calling your parents every day and checking on them and, and building that relationship back up because yeah. they've been missing you and you've been missing them and they're worried about you and you're worried about them. They got things they want to tell you that they couldn't tell you. And now y'all having, you know, hour, two hour conversations to catch up on, right? This has really grounded us and humbled us, I think, and, and just uh, the best ways possible. You know, it hurt, but it was for a good reason. Mm-hmm. It, I think a lot of us are going to come out happier, healthier, um, more knowledgeable, wiser, uh, and they, we're, we're going to be better individuals than we were going into this. Because uh, just because, like, our vision is clear, you know, people are really understanding yeah. life a little bit better and what's important to them. I just want to say that what's part of it. What's important to them, and it, it, even um, I was like, I know two people uh, in particular that you know were. You know, in, in the Navy, or got selected for being a commissioned officer, right? And I remember one Master Chief I had a conversation with about last July timeframe. I asked him if he was ready to be commissioned as an officer. And he gave me the, mm, I don't know, look. And I said, well, what makes you, you know, not, you're unsure now. I said, you're, you're getting commissioned in October. Like, you only got like two months and you're going to be commissioned. And he said, no kidding, that because we were quarantined, and he has been able to spend a lot of time with his young sons, it's made him realize what was important to him. And his family were at were having a dinner one night and he mentioned something um, to one of the sons and the other son said, well, I don't know why you care, dad. You're not gonna be here anyways, because you're always gone. And he said at that moment, it was like, if I, if, I, if I end up getting commissioned to be an officer in the Navy, they're gonna put me on a ship and I'm gonna be gone again. It was like, I can't lose this. And he, he turned down his commission that following that September, last September, he turned down his commission because he understood what was important to him. And I'm like, money does not make you happy. Money does not make you happy. And a lot of times when people commission as an officer are thinking about the money aspect and they find out how what they're doing is making them miss their families more. And that piece of money doesn't mean anything when you're disconnected from your family. When you come home from long deployments and your kids don't even recognize you or you don't recognize your kids or you're trying to figure out why there's no bond, no connection. Well, you've been on sea duty for like the last 10 years. You've missed everything that they've been going through. You know what I mean? It's like you're a stranger. You're just a temporary housemate and you're about to be gone again. So it has cleared a lot of people's visions um, as far as what's really important. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, the financial part. (laughs) <laughs> how it can be here today and gone tomorrow. Don't take it for granted, you know? Um, and don't, you know, invest it and make wise choices and just, yeah, just realize that only only you know what's important to you. Only you know what's important to you. There's a funny meme to, to make, it, make it a little joke. There was a funny meme about a guy, a military guy that just finished retiring. And then he sits down with his family for the first time after retiring and he's all looking at them like, hey, so what are y'all into? Like just all of a sudden trying to get to know them now, now that he's retired and he's done, everybody's like a teenager or, you know, wife is, you know, 45 years old now. And, you know, it's like, come on, man, it's, man it's time, my time has passed. And now, you yep. you know, now nobody cares anymore. Like, like you said, the, the <laughs> kids are like, you know, dad, you're never around. And so I think that's what this pandemic, that's a, you're the third, that's the third story I've heard. Somebody uh, putting down a commission because putting family mm-hmm. first. Uh, I had a, a, a friend, he told me his story. He had an EFM. Uh, mm-hmm. So those of you don't know, exceptional family members. So you have a family member that is required to stay in a specific part of the United States in order to get uh, medical care that mm-hmm. other places cannot provide. And obviously when you get selected for officer, hey, it's worldwide assignable. And so yeah. that detailer wasn't trying to hear it. And so he had to talk to his family and he had to put what his family needed first 
mm -hmm. the money. He needed to be with his family during those trying times. He needed to be around his, uh, his child. And so that is something that as I have gotten older in the Navy, and like I said, this last deployment really being, I, being stuck on that ship a hundred and something days straight, you know, without a port visit, uh, low comms, it really yes. started making you value things. This is the first deployment where Anthony actually was rem remembered, you know, me mm -hmm. being gone for a long period of time. And he's good. Like, I think we get, we have to find a point where, hey, look, you, you're good where you could take care of your family and then some. Mm -hmm. Find a, a good thresh, a good point where take care of your family for, you know, a good amount of, with a good amount of wiggle room. And then you have enough time and energy to spend time with your family. Yes. And so I think we, we, we're so, go a lot of us are goal oriented. We're so goal, goal yes. oriented that we, we, we got tunnel vision on that goal. And I'm guilty of it. And America mm -hmm. keeps me balanced because I, if I don't, I'll work at work and then I'll work at home. No, 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 you can't do that. Mm -mm. Yeah. You leave work at work unless you tell a worker from the house, but you leave work and you have to find that ba work life balance is huge. And again, being in this pandemic, it is the, the VUCA, the VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. You don't know what's going to happen day to day. And now our homes have become our offices, have become our gyms, our daycares, our restaurants, our car shops, you know, our, our bistro sitting outside trying to get some sun and eat a, eat a dinner or have some, you know, some little adult beverages. It has become so everything that we don't ever have time to break away. So it's so easy for us to come home and just get back to work. You have to find a cutoff point. You have to find that cutoff point where you can balance your work life and your home life. Because your work is always going to be there. And I, I like to tell people, don't overstretch yourself for a person or an organization, a company or whatever that will replace you in 2.5 seconds when you leave. That yeah. job is going to still be there. It was there before you got there. It's going to be there when you leave. And somebody, That job is still going to be there. So figure out a, a stopping point and stick to that stopping point and then be with your family. Because when your work life starts bleeding to your family, that's when you start missing out on the family things. That's when you start being disconnected with the family because you're not there. And then when something happens, you're upset because you missed it. Well, you work. What do you I hear from do? a lot of senior people that, you know, they say I put the Navy first and I, I put it first too many times. And yes. I'm pretty sure that's uh, there's an even you know correlation in the civilian world where you put you put your job first and then mm -hmm. your family's the ones going to be there forever, you know, or at least until everybody you know dies. And so we, we forget about that a lot of mm -hmm. times and and i can i, I know can understand I a, go ahead uh, i'm saying i had a um we were talking about like the roles and putting in jobs and stuff at first i had a uh i had a guy that i worked with he was a, he was a senior chief he walked in the office one day and he said courtney you know what you want to do when you retire and i was like yeah don't you like duh. and he stopped and looked at me and was like i never thought about it and i said what do you mean you never thought about it i'm like you know this is going to come to an end one day, right? We're taking out this uniform. Like, we are no longer U.S. Navy. And like we were speaking about, people get so caught up in their roles and putting the Navy first and doing everything for an organization or for a company or for this role, at, that they're, that this title that they assume, that they don't have an identity anymore. They don't know who they are when they take no, off their suit, exactly. their uniform. They don't have an identity. They don't know what makes them happy you know, what their passions or interests are. They don't know what they want to do when they grow up. They don't know what their favorite color is. They don't have a reason to get up out of the bed if they retire because the reason they were getting up out of bed was because the military needed them. Whoever they were leading needed them. Their chain of command needed them. But when that's all said and done and when it's over with, what's going to be your purpose getting out of bed tomorrow when the Navy is done? If you cannot answer that question, you, you're, you're in, a, in, a, in a hurt space because you need to know who you are and what motivates you, what drives you, what your passion and interests are, because that's going to be your purpose when this role or this, you know, this title you're carrying or this organization you're working for, when that's all said and done. You still got to be who you are, but who are you? A lot of people don't know who they are. And years pass and you don't realize who you are. Years pass. Yeah, you wake up 20 years later, and you're like, oh, shoot, it's 20 years? Oh, my God, I got to prepare, prepare for retirement. I don't know what I want to do. And it's sad because they, they really don't know. And partly for us, we're institutionalized. Um, and somebody, I was talking to one of the uh, one of Tati's friends, his, her, his parent, 
and he was talking mm-hmm. about how he was, he was a correctional officer at uh, one of the prisons. And he says, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because he used to be in the Navy. And he says, you know, it's funny. He says the Navy being on a ship is a lot like prison. He said a lot mm-hmm. of it's, uh, you know, help me out. I got you. And so as he said, the correlation is so is so similar as far as how institutionalized we are. Yes. So like we are so used to this system. And when we get out, we're like, whoa. And so I hear a lot. Yes. That's, well, that's why we got TAPS class, right? Or GPS. Yes. And, but I know it's still a challenge and I know it could be maybe demoralizing a little bit. I go from Master Chief to now, I don't, nobody cares who Master Chief such They don't, is. they <laughs> don't. That title doesn't mean anything. And I I had an old Master Chief that I used to work with. He no, he no kidding came to my office one afternoon. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. We were getting ready to go home. And he's having a whole conversation about um, this one situation where in his neighborhood, there is a retired guy that lives down the street from him who has a teenage son that's in college. Um, him and the wife before, so it's him and his son living you know, a couple of houses down. Well, one day he's walking outside to his mailbox and he hears the young the son and a, and a female get into an argument and she's arguing with him. And so him, you know, in his whole command master chief mindset, it's like, oh, what's going on down here? So he walks down the street with this <laughs> male in his hand and he's just like, hey, is there a problem going on here? And it, the son was like, hey, no, go mind your business. Get off my property. And he was yeah. looking like, do you know who I am? I'm, and he said at that moment, he had to stop because he was like, nobody cares who I am. This command master chief title don't mean anything out in these streets. And I said, you're right. Nobody gives a crap. When you retire, you're going to take a number and send it in the back of the line with General Pop like everybody else. And you you have to understand that. But we get so wrapped up in these titles and these images and these roles, these organizations that you think that's going to be you all your baby. That's not going to be you all your life. So who are you when you take that uniform off? Uh, such conviction. It's got me thinking about who no, I no. am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so all in all, too, right, I think we talked a lot about how organizations and in the Navy in particular can really put a either a stress or has created some type of structure that has allowed us to have a certain mindset that we have yes. to adjust throughout the as the Navy changes, as the society changes. And then obviously we have to that whole sink or swim once we get out the Navy, mm-hmm. um, because even though I think TAPS class is helpful, it, there's nothing like the real thing. Mm hmm. And so I do appreciate the the opportunities the military has provided us because I think what we have gained will makes us strong for a lot of situations that a lot of people do not experience. Like I'm thinking yes. now, there's so many situations I've gone through. I'm like, yeah, what the heck is this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never exactly. thought this would be a bigger thing, but it's happening. And so mm-hmm. uh, with, with everything being said, uh, what do you consider your rich state of mind? What is your big why? My why, the why I do the things I do, um, is just I love when people um, tap into their success, whatever that success is for them, whatever that goal is for them. Because um, being a life coach, I'm like your life motivator. I want to motivate you to achieve whatever goal that you want in your life. I want to motivate you to know that you don't have any limitations in life. The only limitations you have are what you have already set up in your mind or what you have been conditioned to have. But if you are in control of your thoughts and your, and your, your mindset, you can be in control of your life and the moves that you make because of your decision and not somebody planting seeds in your head to tell you what you can and cannot do. Um, my why is just, the, the reaction that I get when people can see that they can, you know, achieve a certain goal or they can motivate themselves and they can reach their success. And when that success for that individual can be anything, whether you're going back to school, buying your first car, um, you know, saving a thousand dollars a month for the first time, sitting down, you know, having Sunday dinner with your family for the first time in a long time, because you've been so overtasked and overworked when you're able to, you know, buy all your kids Christmas presents during Christmas, whatever that success is for you, um, Knowing that you can achieve that and, and being able to help somebody do that is that is my reward. That is my why. Because sometimes in life, people just need to know that you can. Not that you cannot, but you can. And when you start to believe that, when you start to repeat that to yourself every day, I can, you fill in the blank. Whatever that you want to put in there extra, but every morning when you wake up and you start saying, I can, there will be nothing that you'll be afraid to do because you know that you can do everything. So that is my why. I love that why. And um, definitely going to be playing that last minute and a half over and over. 
that's something hey everybody that's something that you could listen to in the morning to start your day off (laughs) so oh yeah i appreciate you courtney taking the time this evening really really great episode um like i said rich state of mind is not just about being financially sound or learning how to invest and stuff like that it is also about your your mental because without your mental you can't do anything else that is the foundation making sure that everything else is clicking the way it needs to so thank Mm -hmm. you really appreciate you and i look forward to staying in touch yes thank you for having me this was fun appreciate you